This is the Artisan CEO Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. In this Top 5 episode, I'll be sharing the five best business books I've read, why I recommend them for you, and the impact they've had on my own business. You'll also get a peek at what's next on my reading list in case you care to join along for the journey. Welcome to the Artisan CEO, where the art of photography meets the business of profits. This is where strategy and craftsmanship coexist so that you can run a creative business that supports a life you love. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and I promise to give it to you straight. So I love reading, but more like Harry Potter type reading. We read to our kids all the time. Felix asks for at least three books before bedtime every night, along with the probably five to ten other books that we read throughout the day. And the first book that we read to Teddy when he was like, starting when he was like a week and a half old, was The Hobbit. So we are a family who reads. But dang, do I struggle to read for business. And I think it's because reading for business feels like this gray area between work and play. Like I love reading, but reading for business kind of feels like work, but it doesn't feel like actual work, right? So I won't justify spending hours sitting at my desk reading when I could be writing a new podcast episode or editing a photo gallery. But it's also not relaxing either, so I can't read for business before bed without getting my brain spinning and all these ideas churning, which means it's then almost impossible for me to fall asleep. I am not someone who tears through like 50 plus books a year. If I'm being really intentional, I can maybe accommodate like five to six business books per year. I have friends who can do like 25, 30, 40, 50, and I'm so envious of them. I want to read more, I really do. I'd like to ideally be able to get through 18 to 20 books over a 12 month period, which is like just over one and a half books per month if you're aiming for 20 but I haven't yet figured out how to fit that in without taking away from the uh, short hours that I have at my desk with two small kids. And I don't feel like I can read at night without getting my brain thinking about work. So when do we fit this in? So all of that to say, if you are someone who struggles to fit in reading for business, I get you. You and I are cut from the same cloth. Because I have a tough time reading for business, I'm really, really choosy about what books make it onto my shelf. If I am going to devote the time, it's got to be because a book came highly recommended or maybe it speaks to a specific pain point that is acute enough that I feel like I just need to purchase the book. I'm really selective about who I take book recommendations from. I want to know what the people who are way smarter than me, what they're reading, and if they tell me, oh my gosh, you need to read XYZ, then I go do that. Books feel like an ethical shortcut. They're usually published by someone who is way smarter and way more experienced than me, and for a mere 10 to $20, I can ingest all of their best thoughts and research. Yes, please. But here's another reason that I love books. They require discipline to get through. If I'm feeling insecure about falling behind, I go look for a book on a subject that I feel like I haven't mastered yet, and then I dig in. Having seen how much of an impact certain books have made on my career so far, I know it's always worth the time that I exert. And furthermore, I feel like making my way through a business book requires that I cultivate discipline. So today, I thought it would be fun to try out a new series. We're calling this the top five, and I'm going to be sharing, you guessed it, my top five choices in several different categories. And this first edition of the top five is all about the best business books I've ever read, along with a little ditty about what they've done for my business. So if you're in a similar place of finding it hard to make time for reading, 
you're going to get my hot take on which books will give you the biggest bang for your buck. Real quick, photographers, are you tired of lather, rinse, and repeating the same tired collection of forgettable photos from one brand session to the next? If you're ready to turn yawn-worthy galleries into the sort of results that thrill your clients and get you both noticed, then you're definitely going to want to join me for my free training, The Backstage Secret to Scroll-Stopping Brand Photography. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or you're just getting started out in the world of branding, this session is for you. I'll teach you my number one strategy for crafting stories that resonate with your clients and their audience, which is the biggest secret behind creating galleries that not only look stunning, but also drive engagement and sales for your clients, which, spoiler alert, is what keeps them coming back for additional sessions in the future. Because as brand photographers, purposeful matters more than pretty, but who says you can't have both? Our job is to think like a marketer and shoot like an artist, but you have to have both pieces of that equation and learning to approach with the mindset of a strategist that changes everything. So if you're raring to say goodbye to cliche galleries that simply repeat what's already clogging your Pinterest and social media and hello to a method that drives brand loyalty and real bottom line growth, then head on over to abbygrace.co slash training. That's abbygrace.co slash training. It's time to leave those forgettable, smiling at a laptop photos in the dust in favor of a more tailored approach that's gonna leave your clients obsessed and already planning for their next shoot with you. One more time, that's abbygrace.co slash training. I'll see you in class. Whenever I talk about reading with students, the question of physical books or electronic books, it inevitably comes up. And I am kind of old fashioned. I love paperback and hardback books the most. I like marking them up uh, when I find them to be super valuable. So I always have a pen with me whenever I'm reading, typically a highlight or two, so I can work sort of college textbook style, underlining or highlighting anything that feels especially revolutionary, sometimes making notes in the margins. Every once in a while, when I'm feeling dangerous, I will earmark a page, but that's reserved for very special occasions. <laughs> I do have a Kindle, but the books on that are almost exclusively non-business reads. Just because I like having a book in my hand, I know you can use the highlight feature on Kindle, but it's just, it's faster and easier when I do it with a regular pen, and I like having, like I said, that physical book in my hands. I will occasionally consume a book via Audible, but to be honest, I get way less out of those books because I'm almost always listening while I'm doing something else. I also can't quickly turn back to a specific page or underline an idea I find to be especially profound. So you should feel free to consume however it makes the most sense for you. But I just wanted to make sure I shared that tidbit before the questions flooded in on whether listening on Audible technically counts. Okay, book number one, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Deep work is centered around the concept of being able to focus on cognitively demanding tasks in a highly distracted world, helping you master hard tasks and produce high value material in less time than it takes most of the rest of the population. Deep work also discusses how Going deep allows you to push your brain to the very limits of what you're capable of, reaching levels that were maybe previously inaccessible to you because you didn't know how to push yourself into that zone that I love Shonda Rhimes calls it the hum. This is from the inside cover of the book. Deep work will make you better at what you do and provide the sense of true fulfillment that comes from craftsmanship. In short, deep work is like a superpower in our increasingly competitive 21st century economy. 
And yet, most people have lost the ability to go deep, spending their days instead in a frantic blur of email and social media, not even realizing there's a better way, end quote. This is, hands down, the book that I reference and recommend the most. I might even be kind of pushy about it at times because I think this book is that important. Think about it. Like when you were in high school or earning a degree, when were you ever taught maybe how to study or how to put your head down and get work done? Like you're taught the skills associated with how to get work done, like the skills pertaining to the work. Like when it came to photography, I was taught about aperture and ISO and developing film in a darkroom. But the actual, how do we then go out and get the meaningful thought work done? wasn't even on my radar. I would stumble upon these accidental pockets of productive thinking, highly productive thinking. It usually happened while I was on a train or in the air in transit for a shoot. But the idea of being able to access that level of higher level thinking on purpose, that felt impossible. It seemed like a gift when it happened, but a gift that I couldn't predict with any kind of certainty because I was constantly distracted by email and social media and whatever other pacifier I would reach for whenever I felt even the slightest nudge of boredom or challenge. I remember specifically I was on a plane on the way to Boston for a shoot and I had this just onslaught of ideas for the email template collections that we used to sell at the time. Actually, they're still in our shop. Um, and I'd been struggling over, well, what, what kind of email templates are we going to put out next? And all of a sudden, when we hit the, like when we, when the plane took off from the tarmac, the ideas just started coming and they were, and I had this notebook full of like two or three pages of different email topics that I could write templates for and we could put into our shop. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. Like I could not move my hand across the page fast enough. The ideas were coming that quickly. Like how do I get more of that? Huh, I guess it was just a fluke or a gift. Like, wouldn't it be nice if I could make that happen more often? Newsflash, you totally can. <laughs> Deep work taught me how to access that zone on purpose, like how to work like a professional instead of approaching like a head in the clouds artist like I'd been acting as. You know this is what I'm talking about. When your brain is firing on all cylinders and you can't type fast enough, the ideas are coming so quickly. And it's not down to some woo-woo practice or anything like that. It, it simply comes down to the disciplined pursuit of deep work. And inside this book, Cal Newport teaches you exactly how to do that. He's a computer science professor at Georgetown, so it's, it's not really a surprise that the book is well-researched and has a bit of an academic feel to it. It's not something you would breeze through in an afternoon. It's high-level thinking, and it takes me a while to get through it. But that's all the more reason why I love this book. It isn't based on personal anecdotes or simply what worked for Cal Newport like you find in so many pop psychology books. His theory and approach is backed by research, references to multiple academic studies, and interviews with subject matter experts. It's unflappable, and I love it. In the book, Cal, and I'm going to call him Cal because I feel like I know him. I listened to his podcast. I did get to meet him one time. That was awesome. But calling him Newport feels very impersonal. So in the book, Cal gives the definition of deep work as, quote, professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive capabilities to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and they are hard to replicate. Shallow work, on the other hand, he describes it as non-cognitively demanding logistical tasks often performed while distracted. 
these efforts tend not to create much new value in the world and are easy to replicate. That right there, that got me. I didn't wanna spend the entire portion of my career as a photography educator on easy to replicate tasks that quote, don't create much new value in the world. But if I was being realistic with myself, that's where I was for a long time because of how easily I allowed myself to be distracted. Deep work sessions are what help me get that heavy mental lifting done in my business so that Matt and I can make a dent on the projects that will make the biggest difference in the lives of our clients, our students, and our family. Book number two, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. The tagline for this one was Powerful Lessons in Personal Change. It's been a very long time since I read this book. I don't even actually remember when I did. It might have been in high school. One of my first jobs was working at a Franklin Covey store in my hometown. They sold planners and organizational tools and books, that kind of thing. Um, And it was founded in part by Stephen Covey. It was about as fascinating as it sounds, I'm going to be honest with you. And uh, I do wish while I was there as like a 17 year old that I had taken more advantage of my time there and read more, but I was 17 and not all that interested in reading for productivity. (laughs) I don't honestly even know if I finished this book, but my main takeaway from the book came from the third habit, which is put first things first. And this is where he outlines the productivity matrix. And if you think of a two by two square, where all tasks can be placed in one of these four blocks by being categorized with the two qualifiers, urgent and important. So quadrant one is urgent and important. Quadrant two, not urgent, but important. Quadrant three, urgent, but not important. And then quadrant four, not urgent and not important. This book helped me distinguish between the urgent and the important. See, a lot of business owners tend to live in quadrant three, which is urgent but not important. So this is like whatever rises to the top of your inbox. The email that came in most recently feels important because it's urgent, but that doesn't necessarily make it important. Um, This is like where Brand Photography Academy came from. So we talked in the last episode, season two, episode five, about Monday meetings and how Monday meetings are how we chip away at those quadrant two tasks of important but not necessarily urgent and why those make the biggest dent in our business. Brand Photography Academy was a quadrant two project. It wasn't urgent, like nobody was holding my nose to the grindstone, but I knew it was important because it was going to make a huge difference in the lives of wedding and family photographers who were either looking to change careers or who wanted another alternate source of income from their main gig. And so even though it wasn't technically urgent, it was still important and therefore important that we make timely progress on it. But you have to have the language and the wisdom to look at the stuff that's on your to-do list and recognize the difference between is this, does this feel important simply because it's time sensitive or because it's at the top of my inbox? Or is this actually an important project that's going to move my business forward more so than keeping up with the latest trends on social media or more so than simply getting my inbox down to inbox zero? Book number three, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, president of Pixar and Disney Animation. I'm going to be honest with you, I picked this one up because it had a picture of Buzz Lightyear on the front and I was like, ooh, that sounds interesting and the fact that he's the president of Pixar. So from the book's website, it says, Creativity Inc. is a book for managers who want to lead their employees to new heights, a manual for anyone who strives for originality, and the first ever all-access trip into the nerve center of Pixar animation. I love Disney movies. I love Pixar movies. That enough was 
enough to hook me. Uh, this book was such an enjoyable read with all of the Pixar stories that he shares, but my number one takeaway from Creativity Inc. was that I needed to stop being afraid of failure. I spent so much time running from any idea that I had in my early days as an educator when I wasn't 100% certain that I would succeed because I felt like, oh no, if an idea falls flat, that means that it's it's confirmation that I don't know what I'm doing or um, that my best days are behind me or that I was a one-hit wonder. All of that meant that I spent a lot of time with my good friend, Fear. See what I did there with that Inside Out Pixar reference? You got it. So through his stories about the inner workings of Pixar, which are fascinating in and of themselves, he talks about the time that they almost lost all of their progress on the first Toy Story movie because of one wrong keystroke. And he talks about how Pixar actively encourages his employees to try and fail. All of that made me so much less afraid of falling flat on my face because I can see now that failure is actually an essential component of success. It's not just like, oh, silver lining, you know, what did they say? Thomas Edison was like, oh, I didn't just find out how to make a light bulb. I found like, 500 ways not to make a light bulb like that sounds like a silver lining type thing but actually failure is an essential component of success there are certain successes that could never be possible without the failures that came before them you think about the all of the inventors and the innovators if they stopped at failure some of the world's greatest inventions would never have happened so I don't need to be afraid of trying something new and it not working out the way that I thought because instead I can look at that failure as a necessary stepping stone that yielded information to help me get a little closer to the target on my next try. Number four is the book Rest by Alex Pang. The tagline for this one was why you get more done when you work less. Rest was a game changer for this workaholic. I talked about in this season's episode one, we discussed the importance of office hours and how I used to view rest as this tax that I had to pay on work done well. I love what I do and overworking was really easy, but I want to stay in love with what I do, you know? And once the newness of self-employment wore off all those years ago, I began to resent myself for creating a business with no boundaries. So I began to claw back my office hours a little bit at a time, but I still cheated on my quote off hours with frequent checks on social media, maybe spending time in my office past the point of when I knew I was being productive. Like somehow just continuing to sit at my desk would force an issue to resolve itself, which 99 times out of 100, it does not. So the book Rest taught me to embrace the concept of stepping away from my desk at the end of the day and leaving work in my office, shutting my computer down, not checking social media apps or work-related apps in my off time, not bringing my laptop into our living room after we put the kids to bed, all of that. Pang talks about how we often view rest as a tax that we have to pay on work well done, but instead, it's not a tax, it's that... Good work and rest are the crest and trough of the same wave. You cannot have good work without good rest. Rest isn't just a necessary ingredient that we have to humor. It's something to celebrate and embrace. Specifically, my biggest takeaway from rest was his introduction of the idea of the default mode network. We talked about this in an earlier episode this season, but the default mode network is a series of interconnected sections of your brain that activate as soon as someone stops concentrating on an external task 
and shifts from outward-focused to inward-focused cognition. And the interesting thing about the DMN is that when you're, is that your brain is scarcely less active when it's in rest mode than when you are actively puzzling through a problem. But it's a different area of your brain that's active, which means that the way that your mind is sorting through a problem and the angles that it's attacking from is going to be different than how your active conscious considers the same issue. So when I'm sitting at my desk and I'm trying to force an issue into resolution, I can recognize that maybe the most productive thing for me to do at that moment is not to continue to sit at my desk and try to force the issue, but to go outside and cut flowers from my small patch of dahlia plants. That I'm not procrastinating or being lazy, but that my work needs me to take a rest to give the DMN time to work the issue out while I'm focused on something else. Book number five is Traction by Gino Wickman. I mentioned this book in the last episode, the one about Monday meetings, and Traction's tagline is, get a grip on your business. It's basically business organization and management 101. The book seems like it was written for larger companies with multiple employees, but please don't let that deter you. It's worked really well and been enormously helpful for our business of two. The book is, I will admit, a bit of a dry read, which is not surprising given that it is a book on business organization, but it's worth pushing through. Matt and I walked through what the book calls the EOS model, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which sets parameters for setting goals at five, three, and one year increments, and then breaking those down into quarterly rocks, which has helped us make some progress on huge projects that I think otherwise I probably would have been too intimidated to get started on, or at least would have pushed them off until I had no choice but to get started on them. We've got a bonus annual planning meeting coming up with my Brand Photography Academy students in December, and I am so excited for that. And a lot of what we're going to be walking through will come from the success that Matt and I have found using the EOS model. The book also walks you through the importance of outlining a company vision for tenets like core values, core focus, an overall approach to marketing strategy, and more. Like I said, it's not the flashiest topic, but it is essential for anyone who wants to run their business like a company instead of flying by the seat of your pants. For anyone who's curious, here's what's up next on my list of business books to read. Love Marks by Kevin Roberts. Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. I want to reread Atomic Habits by James Clear because it's been way too long and I don't remember much of what's in the book, but I know it's a good one. And finally, Give and Take by Adam Grant. Here's your homework. Decide which book you're going to read next and order it today, whether it was one of the books we discussed on this episode or another book you've had in mind, order it today. Even if you're not a fan of reading, even if your life is crazy and you're not sure when you're going to have time to read it, just order it. Hardcover, softcover, Kindle, Audible, whatever it takes. Get that information into your brain however you can. I am convinced that reading is part of what separates the chaff from the wheat. Consuming other people's ideas and processes and cherry picking what will work for you and applying it to your own business without the trouble of having to figure it out on your own, that's gold. Even though I'm slow to make my way through business books, I know that part of the reason I've grown as much as I have over the last few years is because of the information I've gleaned through reading. Then come on over to Instagram and tell me which book did you choose. Find me at Abby Grace Photo. I would love to hear what you're reading next. Coming up in the next episode, we'll be talking about burnout. For some of y'all, this may be an especially relevant topic as we head into winter. 
I'll be sharing the common factors I've observed that have led to my own seasons of complete exhaustion with my business and how I got back on track without succumbing to the temptation of burning it all to the ground. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode and head over to abbygrace.co slash podcast for even more resources to help you blow your clients away at your very next brand shoot. I'm Abby Grace and I'll see you next time. Now, let's go get after it, shall we?